Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. All right. We're going to do a topical sermon this morning. Interesting. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. If you are in the Red Bibles, it's going to be page 849 in the Red Bible. My sermon title for this morning is, Who Do You Say He Is? Who Do You Say He Is? I have a question for you. You all know who I am. If someone were to ask you about me, who is your pastor? What is he like? What is his preaching style? What would you say? I don't want hands showing up saying, I would say he's a big jerk. No, nothing like that. But think about what you would say. Chapter 16 goes into this. Let me set it, for, set it up for you. The start of 15, Jesus is going to Magadan, and their, and their religious leaders demand a sign from him. Jesus rebukes, rebukes them by telling them they cannot interpret the signs of the times. Then Jesus, did, then Jesus did as often he did as he went away privately with his disciples to teach them. We want to pick up in the verse, in 13th verse and go down to verse 20. But before we do, we want to also think about the idea of Jesus taking his disciples aside to teach them. Now, just much like we do at church here, we're kind of aside getting teaching. It's kind of difficult. How difficult is it for us when we are going through our daily agenda and we're listening to a sermon, when we're driving down the road or when we're doing things around the house, how hard is it to focus and remember everything that's said? It's very difficult because there's a lot of things coming at us, a lot of things clamoring for our attention. And that's what was happening. They were, Jesus, wherever he went, there was hundreds and thousands of people just clamoring against them and the, and the, and the apostles and the disciples. Jesus took them aside, away from all of that, to teach them. That's the purpose of church. We, we put aside those things of our daily lives so we can come together and learn of God in the peace and quiet of within this sanctuary of this church or within your home. You can have that within your home. You ever hear of a prayer closet or a prayer room? People have those in their homes where they can go in the, in the middle of their house or in a, in, a, in a room that's secluded and they study the word of God. That is their sanctuary from all of the noise, all of the things where God can teach them. And Jesus did the same for his disciples. Now, verse 13 says, when Jesus came 
to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, doubting Peter, was the first one to speak. And he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, what you, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. When it, whatever you blind, bind in earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, we're going to focus on three perspectives today. Three of them. Number one, who the world says Jesus is, who the Bible says Jesus is, and who do you, as individuals, say who Jesus is? And that's me as well. Who do I say Jesus is? And we're going to look at the first perspective, the worldly perspective today. And we're going to take some quotes from some very famous people. And they're going to tell us kind of like the pulse of society of their day who they thought God was, who Jesus was. John Lennon you remember who John Lennon is? John Lennon said this, I believe in God, but not as one thing. Not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what God, what people call God, is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that tran tra translations have gone wrong. Now, what he's saying is basically everything around you is God, is a God. We are a God. This speaker can be a God. That plant can be a God. Everything around us can be a God. But not the one true God. God is not one thing. But he is one thing, isn't he? He is one thing. He's, he's God, the one true God, made up of three persons. But according to John Lennon in the time of the 60s and, and 50s and 60s and 70s, the worldview of his circle was God was in everything. God was in everything. This can be a God, that can be a God. What about Brad Pitt? You know who Brad Pitt is? Anybody in here still have a crush on Brad Pitt? No? Good. Brad Pitt said, I didn't understand the idea of who God is. God said, who God, of, of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me, you have to say that I am the best, and then I'll give you eternal happiness. If you won't, then you don't get it. It seemed to be all about ego. I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. 
And this was an interview that he, of, of him that was taken from 2007. Of a question asked, why did he leave the Southern Gospel, or Southern, um, not Southern Gospel, Southern Baptist uh, Church. Association for Research and Enlightenment, Edgar Case said this, he, Jesus, is an example for man, and only as a man. For he lived only as a man and died as a man. Is that scriptural? Did he live only as a man? No. He lived as the Son of God. He was God in flesh, in human form. He was not only just a man, but he was God. He lived as a God-man. He died for our sacrifice, for our sins. That's who Jesus was. The Jehovah's Witnesses say this. Charles Taze Russell actually said this. The incarnation is scripturally erroneous. Indeed, if he, Christ, had been an incarnate being, he could never have redeemed mankind. How is that even? That's blasphemous, in my opinion. These are just a few people. Friends of the modern worldly society believe that they have wisdom. As some have shown here, the Bible speaks to its type of wisdom. The Bible speaks to their type of wisdom. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18, it says, For the word of the, the, word of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness, but unto us which are being saved, it is the power of God. Take note of that. To the world, it is, to the foolish, to the perish, perishing, it is foolishness. So those who do not understand God, it is foolishness for them. Jesus Christ died for your sins. To someone who doesn't understand that, that is foolishness. But to those that believe, it is, a, it, is, it is the power of God. He died for our sins. Why? So that we could have eternal life. And that is powerful. For it is written, I will destroy wisdom of the wise, and the prudence and of the prudent will reject. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath no God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For seeing that in the wisdom of God, world through its wisdom knew not God. It was for seeing that in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom knew not God. It was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of the preaching to save them that believe. Now, foolishness of the world doesn't do anything, but God can. There are people that have pseudo-wisdom. You ever see these people? They have pseudo-wisdom. They're, you know, they're all pious, and they say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you um, love something, let it go, and if it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was, and, all these kinds of philosophy things. It's pseudo-wisdom. Pseudo-wisdom. Usually this kind of wisdom is contrary to the true word of God. Do you know it never says in the Bible that if God only helps those who help themselves? It never says that in the Bible. Did you know that? 
So that's contrary to the Scripture. 1 Timothy says this. 1 Timothy says, but know this. This is 1 Timothy 3, by the way. But know this, that in the last days grievous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, haughty, railers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, no lovers of good traits, good traits, headstrong, traitors, excuse me, headstrong, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, but having denied the power thereof, from these also turn away. Does that sound like America in 2023? America in 2023. Yet these views are very real and are common. These views are common. And what do we do with that? We come across somebody like that and they say, well, you know, I believe that God gives us everything and if it feels good, go ahead and do it. That's everything. That means if you want to have relations with this woman over here, that's fine. You want to do it, do it. If you want to come over here to this other person, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. If you want to drink to your, to, to you pass out, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. If you want to, whatever, whatever. So what do we do with those kind of people? Do we say, well, yeah, you know, God understands. God understands. There must be a reason you're doing it. You've gone through so much in your life. God understands that. No. The Bible gives us clear direction. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does the Bible say about habits such as promiscuity? What does the Bible say about habits such as smoking and drinking and all these things? It says one thing. It says one verse. It says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you know the temple of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the temple of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was holy. No unclean thing went in there. They died if they went in there not ceremonially clean. They'd tie a rope around the priest's waist and pull him out if he didn't come out in a certain amount of time because he was, God killed him because he wasn't clean. So we are to do that within ourselves, keep ourselves pure before God. Second Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. How are we going to study and not grow? How are we going to grow without study? We have to study. We have to read. We have to grow. You see that plant right there? That plant's been there, what, three weeks now? Four weeks now? It's dying because it's a perennial but if you had, or I mean it's annual. A perennial is a yearly thing. Those things that come up every year, you know those tulips. Weeds are perennials too. They come up every year. If you water them, if you tend to them, they flourish. 
if we study to show ourselves approved, we are flourishing, we are watering, we are studying, we are fertilizing our soul, and we will grow. We would grow. I did an analogy, I did a, um, back in, <clears throat> a long time ago, I did an experiment. And for those of you that have been to my house, you know I have a bay window, and I've told this story multiple times, but I have a bay window in the front of my house, and it hangs over about that much, probably about that much. And I used to have weeds that would grow up, and I would go through and I would pull them out. It was hard work, and I didn't like doing it, but I thought, well, I'm going to do something give me an excuse not to do the weeding. I'm going to let it go, see how big they can get, and it was interesting because by the end of the time, I don't know if it was two, three months, whatever, all summer, I don't remember, but those little weeds that I used to pull out that were that big, you know, come through the mulch and about that big, you pull them out by the root. The weeds I didn't, they were that big around and they were bending under the, under the window. They'd grow up and they'd bend over because the window would stop them. And did you know I had to dig those things out. I couldn't grab it by, you know, you grab as hard as you can, as low as the ground as you can, lift with your back. Not supposed to lift with your back, lift with your legs. I would lift with my back. And you go like, you know, couldn't do it. Had to get a shovel and dig them out. You see, it's what we tend to that grows. If we tend to our self uh, righteousness and our sin, those weeds will grow. If we tend to our spiritual man, that will grow as well. And if we leave those things, those sinful things into our lives, they will grow. And when you try to get them out of your life, it's difficult. God has to do a real work. He has to dig those things out. And you know what happens? The same thing that happened when I dug those weeds out. Damage. Damage happens. The dirt is all messed up. The mulch is all messed up. You might have more loose roots in there, so you could have more coming up. You, didn't, you don't know if you got it all or not. But there's damage that happens. That wouldn't have happened had I just pulled them out. But because I let them go, because I fed them, let them get rain, let them get sunshine. They grew. Same thing happens with our spiritual life. If we let the sun, S-O-N, into our life, shine on our lives, and we water our spirits with the word of God, we will grow. But if we stop doing that and we let sin water us, sin will grow, and it's harder to get that out than if we just dealt with it in the moment. Now, we grow in the grace by the study of the Word of God. We must be like the Bereans. Remember the Bereans? They studied, this, they, they studied to see that the things that Paul, Paul was saying were so. We need to be doing that. If we do not have this type of study... If we do that, that type of study, if we saturate our hearts with the word, we will not get caught up in the pseudo-wisdom of our current society. 
Now, I'm not saying you go to someone and says, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You say, no, he didn't. You don't have to do that, but you can say, eh, I don't take that. I don't believe that. I don't receive that. God helps those who trust in him, not those who help themselves. You see, God wants us to be dependent upon him, not independent of him. We must know Jesus through prayer and his word. Not only in our heads, but in our hearts. There's so many people who know who Jesus is here. Well, you know, he's a figure in history. A good man, teacher, prophet. And all that stuff is true. But he's more than that. He was God in the flesh. He was God that walked the face of the earth to save those that which were lost, the Bible says. He came to save that which was lost. He didn't come just to be a good teacher and a good man. He came to be much, much more. The world says Christ is just a man. The Christian says Christ was more than that. He was more than that. Who does the Bible say Jesus is? Let's look at that. What's the Bible say? The Old Testament was, uh, was a picture on types of Christ. Let's look at Genesis 7. Genesis 7, 1 through 10. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go in the ark. You and all your household, for I have seen that you are alone and righteous before me in, my, in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and may and its mate, and a pair and of its animals, of the animals that are not that are not clean, the male and its mate. And seven pairs of birds of the air also, male and female to keep their kind alive on the face of, the earth, of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and even in every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the earth. And Noah did all that was commanded of him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of the waters came on the earth. Six hundred years old. Imagine that, 600. I'm 48, and some days I wake up and go, oh, man, it's either good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning, you know? Oh, man, 48, he's 600 years old, and he's rounding up animals. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that were not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the, of the flood came onto the earth. Now, let's look at that. Why would we say that that is a picture of God, a picture of Jesus? Well, let's, think, let's look at this for a little bit closer. They built an ark. An ark of safety. A place where they went in. Those that were righteous. Moses, or not Moses, Abraham. No, Noah, not Abraham either. Noah 
and his family went in. They went in. Why? Because they were safe from the storms. Jesus Christ takes those that are in the storms of life and says, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He is our ark of safety. He commands us to come, un come into him and rest. He is our high tower. He is our refuge. He is our ark of safety. He commands us every day to go unto him, to be with him. He commands us every day to do that. Do we do that? Let's look at Exodus 14. The angel of God who was going before the Israel army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from the front, from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other at all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming and the wall of the, uh, for them on their, right, on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch of the Lord, the, the Lord of, in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He, the, he clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Now, what happened in that story? Moses goes and says, boom. The thing opens up. Red Sea opens up. Dry ground to the, to, across the Red Sea. All these millions of people start clamoring through there, and they're going all night long. They're going through there. And then, it, then Pharaoh starts going, chasing them. He goes in there. They all get out of the water and the water comes and just overtakes Pharaoh and his armies and the chariots and the horses and all that. Did you know that in the Red Sea they, there's still remnants of chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea? There are still remnants of chariots there. They're all covered with coral, but they're still there. Proof that God moved in the Old Testament. He was our ark of safety in Noah's day. And he was our one way to safety in the Red Sea. How much easier would it have been in both cases if God would have instructed Noah, make about four doors on here, split everyone up, get them in there in six hours instead of however long it took them. I'm going to split the sea up into five lanes. You, you take a group over here and here and here and here and you all go. Be a lot quicker. But did he do that? Did he say that? No. What he said was one door in, one door out, 
one road across the Red Sea. Why? Because he is saying to us today, there is one way to the Father. Jesus said it. He said, I am the only, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the one road, the one way into the Father, into safety, into heaven. That's what he is. First John 14.6, he says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way of salvation. We were talking this morning about other religions that say that only salvation through our religion. No, Jesus is the only way to salvation. It is not found in the clubs we join, the prestige, or even in our religion. So many people have, oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. I've not done anything wrong. I'm moral. Okay, that's fine. That's all well and good. You're moral. You're a good person. I would probably agree with you. But what's your relationship with Jesus Christ like? Because that's not going to change anything if you don't have a good relationship with him. People do not need religion. They need salvation. You know, people say a lot of times, so the, you ever hear people say, well, if you just got back into church, if you would just find religion, you'd be better. How many people have heard that? People say that. If you would just go back to church, if you would just find religion, no, 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 no. If you just go back to Jesus Christ and you'd start a relationship with him, things would be better. So it's not in our religion. It's in our relationship. Jesus can be your ark of safety, your fortress in a time of storm. When I think of Jesus and the storms of life that come my way, I know that he has all the answers that I need. Do you know that? If in this book, you'll find every answer that you need for any problem you have. Within this book, Colossians 1, 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Stop there for a moment. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Families hold together in Jesus Christ. Marriages hold together in Jesus Christ. Relationships hold together in Jesus Christ. All things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first form, firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. 
Jesus Christ died and God was pleased to do it. Because what God wanted is us to be reconciled to himself. And don't think that God made Jesus do it so you don't have any say in this, son. You're going to go do it. That ain't what happened. There was a conversation prior to creation. And the decision had been made. Jesus chose to be our sacrifice. If you look back in Revelation 13, in verse 8 it says, He is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So the foundation was the beginning. He already decided at that point to be our reconciliation, our sacrifice. Verse 21. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has, he has now reconciled in, in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and ir ir irreproachable before him, providing that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel." that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of the gospel. We are given this security. We are given this promise only if we continue in our life in, salv in the salvation, learning, growing in Christ. We are only given that promise. If we shift around, if we Go here, go there, you know, do whatever. As long as I'm here on Sunday morning, I'm good to go, but I'm going to go do what I want there the rest of the week. That's shifting. That's shifting around. God does not want us to do that. He wants us to be steadfast in Him, steadfast in His promises. Paul became a sermon of the gospel. Why? Look at Paul's life. What did Paul do? Paul was a killer of the church. He thought he was doing it for the church, but he would kill those who were messing around. He thought he was doing it for the church. But when Christ came in and changed him, it was a 180-degree change. It was a 180-degree change. He didn't kill anymore. He didn't go, well, I'm going to go, I got to go to Rome and write, and I got to send a letter to Rome, but before I do that, I'm going to go persecute and kill the church. He changed. Horoscopes, fortune cookies do not have the answers. They don't. So many people look at horoscopes and say, well, I'm going to have a good week because that's what it says in my horoscope. They might look at a fortune cookie, you know, you go up to the Chinese restaurant in Watsika and you get those cookies and you pull them out and they say, your lottery numbers is 7, 14, 21, 28. Boy, I'm going to play those numbers, I'm going to be rich. No, they're doing multiplication on the back of a piece of paper. They don't have the answers. All the answers you'll ever need are in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Bible says He was tempted Every manner of man. Everything you've been tempted by, Jesus knew all about it. Bible also says nothing new un there's nothing new under the sun. There's not a new temptation. There's not, a new, there's not a new thing that you're going through that Jesus didn't experience. He experienced it. 
He's been there. He knows it. And he wants you to know that he has your answer. So what about you? What about you? Jesus said in the beginning, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And he said, upon that rock I will build my church. Upon that testimony, the church was to be built. Verse 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So it's not saying that Peter was the first pope. It's saying that on that testimony, on that testimony that he is the Christ, the one true God, the one that came from the Father. That testimony was what the church was to be built upon. So much so that the gates of hell could not overcome it. So what about you? Verse 16 and 17, as we read before, 17 through 19 as we read before, Jesus is setting up the dynamic of the first century church. Jesus was not going to build his church on a mere man, Peter, but on his confession of who he is. <clears throat> so it would stand to reason that the church in 2023 can grow by the confession of who Jesus is. Amen? We go through people's lives and we say, we go through and we minister to people in their lives and we say, who, why are you always so happy? Why are you going through all this and you're having, you're, you have a smile on your face? Why? Jesus Christ. Well, what's he got to do? You know, why, why are you going through bad things if you believe in Jesus? Why well, everyone goes through bad things, but Jesus walks with me through them. Jesus sees me through. And Jesus is gonna, has got the end, of the end of my life already in his hand, and he's going to lead and guide me in it. In other words, he's got your best interests at heart. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? That question transcends time. Because he asks us that every day. We get up in the morning, we go through, who do you say that I am? Wayne, who do you say that I am? Amy, who do you say that I am? Ralph, who do you say that I am? How we conduct our lives in situations, either good or bad, will guide someone's perception of Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that your reaction to a situation will guide someone's perception of who Jesus is? If we get angry and we start cussing and we start going off, someone that doesn't know us or knows that we're a Christian might think, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. That's the first thing they'll think. Or... If their God's okay with them talking like that, I guess he's okay with me talking like that, and I don't have to change. Woohoo! No. That is not what God is saying here. He wants us to change. And therefore, we are to change. 
How do we change? We grow. Not every plant looks like it does when it's full grown when it grows, does it? How many people like to garden? We're coming up on that in a couple months, right? Does a cucumber plant look like a cucumber when it grows, when it starts growing? Tomato plant look like a tomato when it starts growing? No. It has to grow and mature. And we must grow and mature as well. When I was in management school, there was a principle that we were taught. And that principle was, if you wanted to change the atmosphere of an office, this was a business setting, so atmosphere of an office, like, like if you had people that were wearing clothes like I wear or jeans and stuff in, a, in an office setting, and you wanted them to up their clothing to wear nicer clothes or maybe even suits and ties, then that action or reaction to that had to start with the boss. It had to start with the one in charge. So if the person in charge walked in in jeans and shirts and jeans and t-shirts and tennis shoes and it was a business office, then nobody would change because the boss is wearing it, so I guess it's okay. But if the boss walked in with a suit on and a tie and a jacket every day, you will see, you would see, statistically speaking, you would see those people that were wearing jeans and t-shirts and tennis shoes, you would see them gradually up their game and the way they dressed. Same thing happens in the church. Our bad attitudes will affect people. Did you know also, and also thing that I learned was that when your attitude, your things, will then affect 12 people immediately. So if we have a bad reaction to something, 12 people will automatically be affected by that. Automatically. And those people that are affected, those 12 people, they will affect 12 people, each one of them. So that's an interesting kind of thing, isn't it? How quickly a bad attitude or a bad way of thinking can grow. But the opposite is true. The opposite is true. If we are good, if we are following Christ, if we are moving in that direction of following Jesus Christ, 12 people are affected immediately. And those 12 people are affect 12 people themselves. So within that action, within three steps of that action, me or you, 12 people and 12 people, 145 people are affected almost immediately by good or bad situations. Isn't that staggering to think about? Boy, my, my attitude can affect 145 people almost immediately. That's why they say, when you change, and that's why it says in business principles as well as, as you can apply it to scripture, you can apply it to your life as a Christian, the moment you, what you say, good or bad, will affect so many people so quickly. Staggering to think about. Jesus said this, 
If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So our call for this week, our call for our lives is to lift Jesus up. Not lift ourselves up. Lift Jesus up in our lives and our circumstances. Let's lift up the Lord and the gospel would go forth. Let's not be, let's not be God's de declaration found in Romans 2.24. Romans 2.24 says this, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a sobering thought. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And you know what that means? That means from the pulpit to the pew, we've got to do better. That's what that means. From the pulpit to the pew, we've got to do better. We have got to be what God wants us to be. We have got to follow Christ. We have got to do those things. We've got to live as though Christ is our only answer. We've got to live as Christ is the only way to salvation. We've got to live that way. If we don't, there is an issue there. There is an issue there. So that's our assignment. Live as though Christ is the Lord of your life. I know he probably is, but live that way. So who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Examine that as well. Who do I say Christ is? Do my actions speak louder than words? Do my actions speak differently than what I say? Who do you say Jesus is? Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the blessing that you've given to us. Help us, Father, to do some soul searching, to do some examination of ourselves, that, Father, you would give us the grace and the, and the wherewithal and the, and the humbleness, the humility to repent where we need to repent. Father, lead and guide us and direct us through your word. Lead and guide and direct us through, Lord, your spirit to be that light in people's lives that would draw them to yourself just as moths are drawn to a flame. Father, bless and minister to each and every one that's here today. Grow in them, grow in their hearts, grow in their minds, grow in their spirits, and help them to be a light to those around them. And Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanksgiving, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.